Welcome to the Flawed Workshop Podcast with me, your host, Nancy Art Music. And me, your co-host, Alex Roberts. Today, we are joined by... Gareth Craig. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure to have you. Um, a little bit of background for our listeners is uh, Gareth and I did the same music and sound technology course at the University of Portsmouth. And uh, basically, our paths in terms of creativity have kind of moved from there we'll say <laughs> they've both been quite diverse and different since yeah. since you left so. um but we'll we'll rewind back a little bit further so uh tell us a little bit about how you started getting it into creativity generally or like into music and what made you want to take the course yeah so i was always big into music and you know played in bands like from a young age but it was always pretty much like that simple it was just like guitar bass didn't know much about the technical side we went to a studio and it all like was super interesting and exciting but i still never really got into it until uh when i was doing sixth form i was just like really bored and not really liking it and kit was in college doing uh business and he hated that as well (laughs) <laughs> so he he dropped that and went to do music tech with one of our friends who was in our band and just one day he was just like oh hey gareth you'd like this here's a pirated copy of an old version of reason Fair and enough. have have a try and i was like oh sounds great and it was literally just like that simple as in i just wanted something to do other than school and he was like this thing's cool and then when he said he was going to go to uni to do it i had no idea what i wanted to do at that point so i was like yeah, sounds good. I like this more than I like anything else I'm doing right now, so let's let's go for it. And it was literally that simple. No. Originally, we wanted to do acoustics, very specifically, mm. but you needed uh, better qualifications in science than either of us had. So we ended up going for a slightly less science but still science music course. So close, yet so far. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> essentially. Um, so... Uh, originally, because obviously my goal with uh, taking the course at the time was to basically gain the knowledge so I could be completely independent and have control over the entire music making process for my side of things. Um, what was the what was what was the thing you wanted to get out of the course once you'd basically finished? Um, when I started, my main idea was like I wanted to work at a studio. And I thought if I just have the knowledge from behind the scenes stuff, I can go around to all the studios like nearby and get into there. When I started actually doing the lessons, though, the thing that caught me the most was uh, film sound. And I really wanted to do film or, or game soundtracks. Like that was the bit that like caught me that I, I didn't expect to catch me because I, for how much I am now really into film soundtracks, mm. I do not watch like any films. Like <laughs> I, I, I see like a film a year, and that's like pretty good going for me. No, film, but... film soundtracks peaked with Reservoir Dogs, and it's not been the same since. <laughs> Reservoir Dogs. The film soundtrack to Reservoir Dogs is phenomenal. I feel like you haven't seen a lot of movies recently, then. Just because I don't watch Iron Man does not mean I haven't seen a lot of films. I am not praising the soundtrack to Iron Man. <laughs> no offense or anything, but it's not like Baby Driver was a pretty good soundtrack. That came out pretty recently. Yeah, Baby Driver was all right. Yeah. yeah. We've talked about That's, Baby Driver twice, yeah. like, in this podcast so far. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but what was it about the film soundtracks that, that sort of really piqued your interest? Was it the, the, the Foley side of it, the, uh, like the, the, the post side where it's uh, the actual instrumentations? 
was sort of a mix of all of it, mainly focused on the instrumentation, the soundtrack. I've always liked like classic music and orchestras and stuff, like strings mm. and like big epic sort of things. And then like uh, atmospherics as well. Like I've always, from the electronic side, always been big into sort of atmospheric stuff. So yeah. like the mix of those two. And then how in a lot of modern filmmaking, uh, you get a lot more modern sounds in. It's not sort of strictly orchestra like it used to be. Mm. You get a bit of pop music in here when it fits and a, a lot more electronics. And it was just all the sort of experimental side and then the storytelling of it as well. Because in music, a lot of the time, like the, the lyrics sort of take over the, the storytelling side. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And in, uh, in, film, in film music, you get to be a lot more uh, instrumental and aesthetic about it. Mm. So what, what would be your... Uh, your your sort of go to standout example of a film with uh, the, the soundtrack that you you try and emulate or uh, think is just like the most iconic, well up to up to three or something. If you can't think of just one, yeah, the big examples for me are Lord of the Rings and Star Wars. Like they're super simple ones, but they're yeah. just so well done. Like mm. I went and saw uh, Episode Seven or whatever it is the first of the new Disney ones, mm. and the whole time I was like, it's a pretty boring movie. I'm not that into it. Like it's fine. But the music at every point still was just fantastic. Yeah. And you've got like the core John Williams like melody of it and it's all being used so perfectly at every point. And I was like, yeah, those those two are the, the big standouts. And then I like a lot of movies where people are like sort of trying different things and like going away from that sort of classicness as well. Uh, Gravity was a weird one that was really interesting and good and then stuff like you know Mad Max where it's not orchestral at all mm. and it's using totally different sounds no it's, it's, like it's, it's, fl- it's flaming death metal in the desert you know so, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, <laughs> in like video games recently there's been the Doom soundtracks which yes. uh, yeah, uh, just Doom. so so cool and I watched the the, um, the GDQ talk as well by the by the guy who made it and it's just so interesting like hearing how he how he went through it and his process and everything and i'm a a, they're one of the few game soundtracks that i actually just listen to like on its own Mm. i often find that if i'm listening to the the original doom soundtrack when i'm i'm going for a jog i tend to run a bit faster (laughs) yeah it's yeah well that's That's a real psychological thing yeah and which is why music is such a core part of storytelling and film i feel like there there's a lot of as is a theme of my life in general there's so many youtubers i watch like sideways for example where he analyzes why the music makes you feel a certain way and it's so cool like and and all sorts of like you were saying orchestral music has been sort of the traditional way of um kind of approaching soundtracks in film and that's it's really cool when somebody can twist that on its head um we i think we briefly mentioned uh tenet in a previous episode with a friend of mine um and in the guy who did the music for is uh ludwig that guy is amazing he does so many different types of work um but there's a bit that i keep praising and i might cut this out because people who have listened to the podcast might have already heard this but um when in the movie there's a concept of time time moves backwards at one point and the music over that part of the movie is reversed and it blew my mind when i was watching i was like this is so cool but yeah do you do you still uh do a little bit of uh like composing or like or making stuff for yeah film? I haven't done as much 
uh, for a while, but I really want to get back into it. I was, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Andrew Huang talking about music YouTubers, and I like, I always just love his stuff. I have like, do we, do we I'm go a for a person? Go for a high five? Yeah, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I always, I'm the sort of person who will like leave YouTube videos open when they aspire me on my browser, and will just like go back to them to just like, like be like, oh yeah, that's the thing I wanted to do. Yeah. I have and, about 50 tabs open myself. So. Yeah. He, he did a, one of his four producers on sample things recently with comp- composition and uh, some like the, the variety in that was super cool. And so I, I do like to to sort of dabble in that. I haven't done as much music recently because I got a new computer and I just haven't had the time to like install all of the stuff. There's so many bits. It takes a <laughs> while. It's, yeah. I think getting a new computer when you're doing... Uh, when you have big software on it, like Logic or Reason or whatever, it's almost like moving house. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. <laughs> and, probably uh, a lot harder to carry stuff upstairs than it is to... <laughs> I'm sure they're both just as tedious. It's much less physical, yeah. Yeah, they're both tedious and frustrating. The emotional toll is about the same. <laughs> oh, I'm not disputing that. but, uh, but Especially yeah. when you're moving over individual yeah. projects but, but and all the files have been transferred and you're like, where's this one specific instrument? But at least my lower back is okay. You know? is yes, yeah. that is true. <laughs> so since graduating, you mentioned that you did a little bit more film editing. Would you mind uh, telling us more about how you got into it? Yeah, totally. I actually, um, I got into editing through uh, uni when we did the Sonic Squeeze, the music review show that me and Kit and Isaac and all that did. Mm. And literally, we just, we wanted to do a load of videos a week. Kit had this idea about how many he wanted to do, and Isaac couldn't do all of the editing for it on his own. Mm. And so he literally just taught me the basics and was like, do it. (laughs) And I just started learning from that. And then... When COVID hit and my uh, engineer technician stuff stopped happening, um, it was the the most surreptitious, lucky way to get into anything where I was just like, it's fine, I'll take a bit of time off. I've got a decent place that I can stay in. Don't have to worry too much about money for a while. I'll just start doing portfolio work. And I thought, I'll do a bit of video editing as well. Why not? I want to get into it. I always found it fun. And I messaged my friend... Uh, Aaron, who goes by Medicasts, is what more people will know him as. And uh, I literally just said to him, could you make me an editor on your Twitch channel so that I can download your VODs and make highlights of them just for practice? And he was like, that's interesting, because I've been looking to hire an editor. And <laughs> so I just was like, sure. That is I did really a few for him for free <laughs> don't, yeah, don't to make sure I could yeah. do it. Yeah. yeah, I did a few for him for free to make sure like it was up to a good quality because I'd literally never done anything professionally in that field and uh, apart from like just Sonic Squeeze. And then I've been doing that for probably like a year now, which is uh, super, super fun. And it's really different, but it's sort of the same like basic ideas of like working out your workflow and like being creative and stuff. And it's always been the way I've learned is just like sort of doing it myself and just trying things and then watching what other people have done and just thinking about like why it works so Mm. uh it all went well for me editing things like for example this podcast where there isn't like a huge well there isn't the same amount of creativity in editing something like this or editing something that's already been pre-recorded um than there is uh, in sort of music making where you can make all these decisions to try and like create a result of some kind. Um, 
where where do you think the creativity comes in something editing in editing something like this i think the the main difference is the amount of like freedom you have and it's always been one of the the things in music is you can do like purely anything there's so many possibilities and you sort of need to enforce those restrictions upon yourself to sometimes help you get like through like just the choice paralysis that you can get but in video editing it's quite good because that isn't there like you have a base that you have to start from and you're stuck with that and Mm. there's not like too much you can do in a lot of circumstances like you can add little bits here you can go and get some reference material but it all needs to fit back into the thing and you need to it's it's storytelling which i've always been interested in but it's sort of like you are sort of the unseen hand storytelling behind like what the main sort of performer has done and it's just about like cleaning up what they've got and then like trying to tell your own little stories that might not be as obvious if you watch the whole thing mm-hmm. but if you put things right by each other you can it's like that old um was it stanley kubrick thing where he, he films himself doing two expressions and then puts a different clip in between and like shows how the context changes it's that sort of stuff where you can you can always find uh different parts of the video that weren't intended to fit together but that sort of do and you can sort of tell a a little point through that so it's sort of the limitation that forces you to do interesting things that i I really like i'm sort of imagining you now as um almost uh you you know when you're playing uh skyrim or fallout or something like that and you get the 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 four prompts to pick from and you think oh i've got so much choice and creativity and what i can do with my story no you're you're the guy that has given you those four choices you have you've made those four storylines within that sort of within those parameters is there anything that you kind of struggle with when it comes to workflow or kind of just getting the motivation to do it or that sort of thing i mean i guess when you're doing things professionally as opposed to kind of on your own where you are only relying on your own uh, on yourself to kind of finish something i imagine is that easier or is this more uh which which is easier for you would you say it it's way easier doing it professionally because it is that sort of thing where it's like i have to have a video out this friday and mm. it's as simple as that and so i write down in, in my little i have a notebook where i write every day out and i put what i need to do that day and i just have like these days are the days where i edit the video and this is the day when i remind aaron to upload the video and it's just written out there and i cross it out when i've done it and it's so so much easier when i do video editing for myself like i will just like with music i'll go months without doing a single thing <laughs> like he had some off time recently and when he first was off because the legal agent season had ended i was just i was doing little bits for um i'm really into sim racing that's like my my big hobby now outside of like being creative and uh i've been doing highlights for that for a community that i help run and stuff and i made like a few and it was really good and i was like yeah this, this is a good way to sort of keep my eye in when i'm not doing it and stuff and then nothing for months and it's been on my to-do list like yeah you should do another one of those <laughs> absolutely has not been done i'm i'm totally someone who needs like sort of a, a push to do something like i need to even if it's not for something, like I need to like pretend I have a deadline to like get myself into the mindset where I'm like, yeah, I need to, I, and that's why I like I said, this diary that I have has become such an important tool for me since I left uni because it's just like I write down something called the day, and then if I'm ever not doing anything, I look at it and I'm like, oh, I need to do that today. I don't need to do that today, but it's just that little psychological like trick that makes you think you should do it. And I always find getting started is the hard bit, and then once you're doing it 
it's fun right that's why you started doing it so i completely agree on that for me quite often it's uh particularly as i do a lot of a lot of writing in my day job it's having that responsibility to someone else uh, yeah. if i'm doing it for me i'm only responsible to me and i'm not a good boss of me <laughs> but then as soon as it comes to the fact that uh, i'm doing this for someone else and it's uh, genuine work output there, there's I don't know why, but a psychological change and it's the organization and the structure of it becomes very different. And I really struggle to bring that into my own creative life. Um, I think it's difficult to be your own boss, basically, because you you empathize with yourself more than anybody else possibly could. So you know that you're tired. You're actually your actual boss when it's somebody else. They won't necessarily know that. And I think for me, if I am ever accountable to somebody, I want them to think I'm at 100% all the time. And so I pretend that I'm at 100% all the time. Uh, And that's how they see you. So, but for me, I know what I'm actually like. It's like, oh God, today was a really hard day. If I was, uh, you know, if I was employing somebody and they came over to me and they're like, look, I've only had four hours sleep. You know, I had to, you know, build a wardrobe because you know, we're, we're in the process of basically putting our house together since uh, we moved in February. But if I knew that about somebody that I hired and they came to me and they're like, look, I'm not going to be at 100% today, I'd be like, man, if you're not going to be useful, then, you know, by all means, like, I can't have you around here. Go home, relax. <laughs> and it's like, that's how lenient I would be on myself. I'm learning not to do that because also in that scenario where you have an external employer if they care about your well-being more than they do the business the business won't grow and you won't get a salary so it's that simple see that's where i win because i don't care about myself so <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's is that the point you're making no no, no. no, no. <laughs> Not at the, all. the the other issue the other issue i think is that i wouldn't be i'm, I'm a bit like you i'm not a good disciplinarian of myself mm. but that's also because I like who do I call to get HR involved on me? Like, it's I can't uh, view myself as a business very easily. Mm. I know I can, and when I do have these moments, uh, I, you know, I'm really proud of myself, and uh, they've flourished in the past and things. Um, but being able to do it day in, day out, five days a week, you know, if I was doing it Monday to Friday, sort of thing, I I just can't psychologically do it. But then I'm quite happy to turn up at the office. Um, and there's no problems whatsoever. <laughs> in theory, it requires more energy for you to pretend that you like to switch on that way for somebody else than it should yourself. But I guess it's it's trying to remember that you're doing something that you enjoy <laughs> is sometimes difficult. To me, it always comes down to the whole like starting it thing. Like once you've started it, you don't need to remember it, you know, why you enjoy it because you're doing it and you're enjoying it in the moment. And even if it's something you don't enjoy that much, like when, when, if I'm doing like boring, like when I used to do work in TV, when I used to do uh, workshop days and I'd just be like, I spent months just in a workshop putting stickers on cameras, just constantly (laughs) and just printing out, putting them on a spreadsheet making sure everything was accounted for because no one trusts cameramen. <laughs> and it was just that for like hours and hours. And, you know, it's not fun, but it's all right. You can put on some music, put on a podcast and just chill. And it's one of those things where like, 
when you're like, yeah, go into the warehouse and put stickers on stuff for six hours, I'm like, oh, God, no. But then as soon as you're there, it's like, yeah, it's not that bad. It's fine. It's all chill. <laughs> well, I'm very sorry that you couldn't listen to the Flawed Workshop podcast when that was happening because <laughs> it didn't exist at the time. But um, even even though there, there, are part, there are parts of every single job, even when you're doing every, like your dream job, there are parts of it that you consider worse than other bits. But the worst bits of your dream job are going to be so much better than the best bits of a job you hate. Yeah. Um and that's that's what I'm aiming for. That's that's my goal. I don't know if you've got 100%. This, yeah. No, I'm totally with thing. you. My like I always I always said when I was younger and people asked like what do you want to do when I'm older? I'm like a job that I don't hate. Like that's good enough for me. <laughs> and as long as I'm I I'm not just like miserable every day, I'm like that's okay. I'll I'll deal with that. That's so good. It almost reminds works. me of that like anecdote. I don't know whether this is real or not, but apparently John Lennon's teacher assigned like an English project where they're like, you know, tell me what you want to be when you grow up. And he was like, I want to be happy. And he was like, you misunderstood the assignment. And it's like, mm, <laughs> not really though, is it? <laughs> yeah. I wanted to be a millionaire astronaut cowboy. You can still be that. There's so much time. I do not think that I would pass any astronaut test at all. I could be a cowboy, definitely. But that's yeah. what I'm saying. I, uh, oh, man, this has been like a running theme throughout almost everybody that I've spoken to in the last couple of weeks. We're in our 20s, man. Yeah, but... If I, you but... start trying to be an astronaut today, by 40, you'll have 11 years experience. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> True. Um, yeah. But also... The thought of being an astronaut terrifies me yeah, at the same so maybe, time. Maybe yeah. it's not the best career choice. <laughs> no. <laughs> so when you're uh, kind of struggling with starting, apart from the kind of writing it down, is there anything else that motivates you to start something? Yeah, I, I'm I'm always the sort of like, and I think it's something I started quite early. I was doing it a lot at uni and everything. Is like I spend a lot of time like looking for inspiration and then like, I always find there's that sort of experimental aspect where, like, if I have, like, an idea of, like, the process rather than the result I want, then that can get me started. If I'm like, I want to make this sort of song, you sort of, again, it's all about where to start. And when you don't know where to start, it's sort of, you just flop around not doing much for a while. Whereas, like, I like to find a concrete thing, which is like, this is what I'm going to do. Like, recently I said I reinstalled, like, Ableton and everything. And now I, like, only have a few things installed. Like, uh, I only have, like, Xfer plugins. Like, the free plugins I own from him. That's all I got. Mm. And so I like I, I do things like, when I first installed Ableton, I was like, I'm going to make stuff with only the stock stuff that comes with Ableton. And it's just that those sort of little, like, challenges and little, like, trying something that you wouldn't normally do mm. like i was using some of those simps and some of them are, some of them are pretty good some of them they got some interesting things in them and it's like i would never normally touch that i would yeah. never normally even think about that i've got a andrew huang video open right now which is the best free plugins on the internet yeah i've spent over like two grand on plugins in my lifetime <laughs> i don't need free plugins but i'm going to download all of them and i'm going to make some stuff with them because like it's just finding an excuse to try something else where like mm. again once you've if I open Serum for the 100th time, mm. it's the best synth that exists. It's fantastic. But I'm like, I'll, I'll probably go to the same like five base presets that I always start <laughs> from and change the sort of thing. 
Whereas if I get a totally new thing, I'm like, what the hell is this? How do I get it to do what I want? And I'm, that I'm going like... to download every single free one, and I'm going to set them all off at the same yeah. time, and I'm going to hear my computer scream. Yeah, and you yeah. just you just find what's happening, and you're just like, oh, this this sucks. What's this? And you just try and make something cool with it. And you know, if you fail, it's like, oh well, the thing sucks. And if you don't, you're like, oh, that's sick. That's a, that's a really good point. So I, I will frequently have things that uh, that I've written and or, or just jotted down ideas and stuff, and fails miserably. Does not hit the way that I wanted to hit and stuff. But it's not a waste of time. It's not a failure in that regard. It's still mm. I'm still practicing, still learning, still pushing myself yeah. into something new. You found out that didn't work. Exactly. Was, yeah. Yeah. Totally. And I, it's like that I think has really helped with creativity we've got older is just like learning to delete things it's just one of the the biggest skills to have as anyone like when I'm doing video editing sometimes I'll sit there and I'll spend hours tracking something endlessly and doing camera movements again it all perfect and I'll and then I'll look back at it later when it's in context and I'm like it doesn't really fit just delete it move on and it just getting the like ability to do that Having the bravery helps so much. Yeah, having the bravery yeah. to spike a project or something um, before you've reached your what you consider to be your goal uh, is no bad thing, and it can actually be the most beneficial thing because if you then start spending days and days working on something that you know is frustrating you, that you know is not working, and you end up becoming fixated on it and it's causing you stress and stuff, spike it. You can always go back to it. There's no like. There's no reason for you to constantly be sitting in this cycle. It's the sunken cost fallacy. Yes. Like you, uh, you think, okay, I've spent X amount of money on this, so I have to use it. I've spent X amount of time on this, so I have to make more use of it. But had you got rid of it and you know just used what you've got, then you'd be fine. I'm. Uh, I've uh, mentioned to you. I'm starting up my uh, music. Uh, stuff again. I'm very excited. Um, but one of the sort of vows I made was that I would not buy any new equipment. And I've been looking at this microphone and this bass ukulele for like two weeks. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't need it. I don't need it. <laughs> Just so everyone's aware, I have ukuleles and bass guitars that she can use. I don't want to use yours. You, you just you just want that. <laughs> you want a specific bass ukulele. Because I'm small, so I need something small. That's my justification. <laughs> that doesn't... I. Do you know what? This is the point. I have MIDI base things that I've found for free that I can use. There's no need for me to get a base alele. Although I'd be so cool. The, the strings on them are kind of weirdly sticky. They're rubber. Yeah, yeah, bouncy. They're um, weird things. But so so like when you when you play them, they they don't feel. Uh, as nice, in my opinion. I mean, I mean, I know, I know. Yeah. Okay, that's why I wasn't going to get it for you. Mm. I was going to pretend to get it for you, uh, but I oh, remembered you I saying see. this. You're using me to justify your own addictions. Basically, addiction. That's a bit much. Yeah. <laughs> your addiction to buying all this equipment and instruments. I haven't and... bought anything in years. Ah, oh, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Does my. No, but no, this is no, this... That, no, no, that, that that counts. Yeah, you... does it? I bought a camera <laughs> mic recently. I've used it since. So I'm not talking about you using them. It's about you buying things. 
But you, you've just been saying about you're not going to buy anything new. Oh, addiction... I'm going to buy a new basilele. And until no, I, I said I wanted to. It was in my basket. Oh, okay. I have not yet purchased it. <laughs> oh, okay. And I've decided to restrain myself because I've got those midi base things that I can use that aren't too bad. So that's fine. <laughs> Tune in next week when you hear the basilele. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's a. I've talked about, like, this is another sort of overarching theme that I've spoken with with a bunch of other guests. Um, Like, using what you have is so important. Um, Plugins are something that I find really difficult to spend money on because I, uh, which is unfair on all the people that spent time programming them and going through all the work to have them exist in the first place. It's meticulous, painful work, um, as we both know from having to do it at uni for assignments. Um, But yeah, that's why I, it just, um, I feel like, yeah, use what you have. I'm I'm speaking to myself when I say this. (laughs) And anybody who needs it. Um, But yeah, so what are you working on uh, kind of now? And what are you hoping to get uh, what projects are you coping to get finished in the next couple months so one of my biggest problems is like i, I especially at uni was um the sc- like scale of things i want to do i always love having these like grand great ideas like uh i was i was thinking when you were talking when we were talking just before like i had this idea of making like an album each year when i was at uni and i had all these plans of how each one of them would be set up and stuff and the second year one that I was meant to do in second year still haven't finished. And it was one of those things where like I'd get so deep into one thing that just wasn't working that was in my like master plan for it. And then you get to a point where later again, all to do is like trying to start something. You're just like looking at another one, which isn't the one that's stressing you out. And you're like, ah, oh, but if I start that, that'll probably start stressing me out. And mm. if I have two things that are stressed and you just start getting caught up with that. So one thing I've started doing is, uh, trying to focus on like smaller things Mm. i feel like you know everyone who's made music has had the experience of having like a folder full of half completed projects sort of thing (laughs) just the one folder really (laughs) yeah yeah it's a big folder and uh i've i've been trying to rather than just like force myself to work differently to how my brain clearly works just try and make smaller things Mm. so there's lots of like little ideas i have for music stuff like for the video stuff obviously it's quite easy because it's like i want to do another highlights for the race cars thing soon and then i do a video every week for medic so it's nice and easy and it's just like what cool things can i find to do for that with music it's like lots of little things i want to do uh i want to compose a little uh like orchestral thing something film scorey like based on the the uh, Andrew Huang video I was looking at, I was looking at another video about um, the use of five four and different polymeters and stuff in popular music, and so I want to write something in a five four polymeter, and it's just that simple. Mm. I have that one little thing I want to write, and I don't care what it is. I'm just going to write a thing and finish it, and it probably won't be like a whole song. It'll be like an intro and a main bit and an outro, and it'll be like done. It'll be like a minute and a half long. Yeah. Like. I've started doing that a lot, whereas before it used to be like, oh, if it's not three minutes, it's not really a song. Just make something that's like a minute and a half. No, just, and, no, just play what you want. Some, some of my favourite songs are yeah. really, really short, like minute and a half things. Yeah. Um, when I started getting into to hip-hop, Kit at uni introduced me to MF Doom, and he has a whole whole album of songs that are like, I think one of them is longer than two minutes. 
Wow. And it's one of like my favorite albums ever, and I love it. And some of those songs are just like they are the best. And it's like an intro and a single verse, and then it ends. And it's like bang. Yeah, a, fr- a friend I lived with in uh, my second year of uni um, uh, was really, really into uh, punk and stuff. And of course, she's just mm-hmm. like, "Oh, check out this album." And it's like there's like twenty seven, thirty songs on here. Each yeah. one's about a minute and a half long. And uh, I mean, it was it wasn't my style, but you know, give it a listen and stuff. But it doesn't need to be, you know, this three and a half minute, four minute long song to justifiably something totally and some of my favorite songs are like 10 minutes and they're just stupid and mm-hmm. i love them but mm-hmm. some of my favorite songs are also a minute and it's that sort of uh thing i think as i've got older i've got used to the idea of like no one way is right and there's so many like different ways you can do it and they all work and you just got to like find which one your brain just works with the best and uh try and do that and it like i said it's all about starting it for me so if i find something to make a bigger project which like i get the idea of and i start it then uh i can i can work on that but for now i'm just like it's just those little ideas and sometimes those little ideas will birth into something bigger like you'll find a few of your little ideas just kind of sound similar and you're like oh i'll try and fill in the gaps between this and then uh that can lead you to doing it so i don't and it's also part of again learning to work within your your sort of uh uh, the way your brain works and the things you're bad at. Mm. I don't plan very far ahead because I'm not great at that. Like I find I like planning, but I'm not good at following through on those plans whatsoever. Oh. So I, I I go with the like short term. Like, what are the things I want to do? I'm just going to do one of those, and then we'll figure out what I do next after that. My uh, my to do list looks epic. Like it really like <laughs> ooh, like movie levels of like this. Each thing on the to-do list could be its own feature film. <laughs> your, your, yeah. your to-do list looks like War and Peace. It's it's yeah. huge. It's mad. I and I they're both. I think this is maybe I need to do. Maybe I need to separate my to-do lists into like this is what I can do in under ten minutes. This is what I can do in under a year. Maybe something like mm. that. But uh, I don't want to nitpick. But you can do things in ten minutes and under a year. Mm, this this isn't helpful. <laughs> You're messing up my new system. I've only just made it. Um, no, but I think I think one of the things that I'm this is such a comforting conversation for me because I've uh, part of what paralyzed me into stop into um, not continuing my music is all these like little restrictions. What is supposed to be a song like so in my head it was supposed to be three minutes i didn't want it to have stupid lyrics i also didn't want to sound like uh lyrically like anything cliche which is so difficult to do because a lot of music is so universal and everybody discovers pretty much the same feelings but at different stages in life so some of the stuff i wrote when i was 14 experiencing what i thought was love for the first time are all really cute and they're all very cliche it's comparable, no no insult to either of us, um, but it's comparable to, like, Jonas Brothers stuff that I was listening to at the time when I was 13, 14. Like, um, and so all these kind of predetermined restrictions stopped me from making music because I thought that it had to be, like, something else instead of just ignoring that and being like, I'm making music because it's fun. Um, and, and that stopped me quite a bit. You mentioned something earlier, which... Um, I kind of want to expand upon, which was that what you 
what helps you get back into doing stuff is imagining the process of doing it rather than the end. I'm one of those people that is so focused on the end that when it immediately doesn't sound like that when I've started it, it puts me off. Is that something you found as well? Oh, totally, yeah. Especially, like, when I was first doing dance music, I kept doing, like, you know, you want it to sound like the trend that is popular now and it just, like, doesn't quite... And you just keep making, like, you're trying to make it sound like that and you end up doing things that you listen back to and you're like, I don't even like that because mm-hmm. I was trying to make it sound like something else and I couldn't do the something else well enough. Yeah. And so it's sort of stuck halfway between what I would make and what they would make and it's just like, eh. I think as well that GDQ talk I mentioned earlier by Mick Gordon who made the Doom soundtrack, he talked about it as well where he was like, it's like the easiest way to make something different is just to change the way you're making it like change the process and you'll get a different outcome sort of thing Mm. and uh i really like the idea of being like what can we get with this and then starting from there and really like letting the process decide what happens yeah i think there was uh i can't remember if this is real or if this is an idea that uh, it's probably not an an original idea that i've had because i imagine it Oh, actually, Andrew Huang did something very similar. Um, Instead of trying to think up some music, he put a bunch of Skittles on a keyboard and was like, all right, cool, like pink is going to be the key, green is going to be, you know, the tempo, like whatever. He basically decided what the song was going to be by just throwing a bunch of Skittles onto a keyboard. Mm. So like maybe also throwing some dice to determine what chords you might use and just having a chart. And even if it sounds terrible, maybe that's a fun experiment. That's something that blew my mind. I thought I'm, I'm learning not to think like this anymore, but I'm of the opinion or I used to be of the opinion that if you couldn't make something good, it wasn't worth doing, but that's stupid. Cause when you make bad things, you, through the process of making them, you figure out why they're bad and then you learn not to do it. I want to just go, you were talking about, you know, um, changing, changing the way you do things and make things. So um, I, I'm certain that there'll be people listening to this that have uh, either a notebook filled with ideas or files on a computer somewhere, take them, make a copy of them if they're on a computer or whatever, and then just experiment with a different way of doing it because clearly there's a roadblock for the original concept and idea that you've had. Maybe it's the process. Um, I, I know I've been uh, – I don't do as much with the technical side of music as you two do, but I, I do play instruments and things. Uh, I've been having fun time at the moment taking songs that really should not be transcribed into ukulele and transcribing them into a, into a ukulele thing. So I've just done um, uh, Break Stuff by Limp Biscuit and All the Things You Said by Tattoo really not ukulele friendly songs and stuff but it's good fun just to experiment and try something different they're so funny to listen to because it's so unexpected if you they don't shouldn't know. be funny they should be serious <laughs> and you should feel them okay and <laughs> i can't even take that seriously yeah no, good i'm glad can you imagine because somebody people can't see your facial expression through the podcast. <laughs> oh man yeah I, I love that sort of stuff there's like some of my favorite things i still will have my playlist and they'll come on and people will be like what's this? And I'm like, this is Skrillex. And they're like, what do you mean this is Skrillex? And I'm like, yeah, this is an orchestral suite playing Skrillex's album. Oh. And they're like, what the, f- what is that? One of my like, favorites, it's fantastic. It's one great. of my favorites is the, um, um, vitamin string quartet. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. So good. They so did, so talented. They did the soundtrack or some songs on the soundtrack for Bridgeton. Thank you. Okay, right. Yeah. They did this part of the they did some of the songs in the soundtrack for Bridgeton. That was really cool. And one thing that uh, uh you were talking about which reminded me was the the idea of the Andrew Huang video and the skills and all that and the ran using chants and stuff to do things. I I love doing like things like that where you just like one of the examples I thought of while you were saying that is one of my favorite things is in Ableton you can take an audio file mm. and you can drag it to a MIDI file and it will just try and work it out and you can just select melody or, and I love putting things in those that just aren't musical at all and just mm. sh- will not work. I know that whatever <laughs> algorithms they program to do it will not be able to handle it and see what it comes out with. And you, you'll always be able to find something harmonic in there that you can, once you've cut off all of the weird bits, there'll be some weird idea there that you can start from. Mm. And you just take like absolute random sounds, just like just Foley, get like a huge Foley pack of just like crowds talking and just put it in there and just be like, what do you get? Yeah, and you'll, I, I, you'll find something that you could start from. Is I that... wish I had, uh, I wish I had more skills in terms of sampling things because it it looks so fun. But that's the the I can't get in the headspace of having fun with it. I feel like I always have to be productive when I'm doing stuff. That's a problem. I feel what you've described is the uh, the music's version of if you take a thousand monkeys with a thousand typewriters. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. It totally is. You you just you do enough random stuff, and there'll be something in there that you go, "Oh, that bit's good." It's like I never really got why people used uh, like the uh, uh, I can't remember the chord, but the big uh, blocks of like synthesizers where I have each bit mm. as a, oh, as, a yeah. as a part, and it's like a whole wall of synths, and it's just like little parts, and you'll just make arpeggios with that and just play them until I watch Dead Mouse stream and doing it, and he's just sitting there for hours, just like trying different stuff and then he finds one like tiny couple of second segment in the hours he's like oh that was really good i like that and he just takes that puts it into ableton and then builds it out from there Mm. and it's that sort of thing where it's just like if you do enough stuff something in there will catch your ear and you'll be like oh that was interesting and then you just delete everything else and just focus on that. It's a bit like going to a food platter sort of thing and uh, you're just like picking out little bits and pieces. Oh, I don't quite like that. I don't mm. quite like this. It takes a while to go around the whole thing, but at the end mm. you've got a plate of the most delicious food. Yeah, all the bits you like. Right, so all the bits you like. You That's know, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought I'd do a food analogy because I know how much That's you good analogy. food analogies. Yeah, so. That's so funny. I, didn't, I never thought about it that way. That makes, uh, that's... But your, your plate may look absolutely insane to someone else. Mm. Yeah. yeah, but you know, but it's what you love and it's what you like. That's such a good. I mean, the, uh, this is just something else that reinforces the whole point about like there's a um, podcaster. I've already mentioned him uh, on a different episode called uh, Andy J Pizza, and he does a uh, he does a podcast called Creative Pep Talk where he encourages people to experiment with their creative processes like gives tips on creative career and one of the things that he says and that he's a big advocate for is that you have to be able to play and that you have to give yourself space to um you to me it would be framed as wasting time but it's actually productive to do that um it was actually maybe something john cleese said that where he uh kind of originally got it from um but just writing a bunch of words mm-hmm. playing a bunch of notes uh you know 
like making a completely weird scribble drawing, all that is worth it if you can find something in it one day that inspires you to do something else. And if you don't, that that's also okay. It's fine. When, when me and, and Big Kit from uni were really young, we were super into comedy. And we really liked the, like, when we were young, the how we first got into cameras, actually, which sort of led to what he's doing now and stuff, was the idea of, like, we wanted to make a, like, a sketch show, like a comedy sketch show. And so much of that came from just, like, we'd just all day, every day, just be bantering about just making up jokes, making up silly situations. And then, like, a hundred of them are just dumb and you never carry back to you. But then, like, a few of them you're like, oh, that's that's kind of good. I like that idea. And then... It is that sort of like, like you say, play where you're just like having a go, and most of it will be useless in the end. But it's getting through all that useless stuff that gets you to the the good bits. But also the useless stuff that when you've made it makes the good stuff look even better. <laughs> so if anything, it's actually really hard to make eighty percent rubbish uh, just to make that final twenty percent really pop. You know, so uh, so don't don't be too hard on yourself. Comedy is so like scary to me because a lot of the way that. Uh, from what I understand, comedians test their jokes in front of an audience and that's how they know it's funny. That's what ends up in specials and stuff like that. I've been to um, two um, of those sort of pre-show nights. Uh, One was with Lee Evans um, just before he did his, um, I think it was his final O2 tour. And um, he came on stage and he had what can only be described as a huge stack of paper. He had a little table next to him. It was a four and a half hour long show. And he was literally just flipping through the papers, just gauging us, just asking us our opinions on it and things. So I saw a load of jokes and skits and bits that will never, ever be seen again because they didn't get the reaction he wanted. It didn't flow. It didn't fit with the rest of the things. Mm. Um, And it's an evolving process. And uh, he just had that ability to realize that even if something isn't hitting the way it wants to hit, it's not that it's bad it's not a criticism it's a learning experience it's a uh it's, it's a moment where you can analyze it and think well why didn't that work what was it about it tweak it some more mm. um and uh, i had the same with uh, i think it was uh, rod gilbert's doing uh, exactly the same thing just albeit on a much smaller scale mm. and he um was chatting chatting with him afterwards and um uh, also Reginald D. Hunter. He was amazing. Um but uh just yeah talking with them about it afterwards and they were all saying yeah you if no one laughs that's not like, it's a bad joke but it's not a bad show hmm. um and it's it's Clearly. learning where where to sort of take your losses i think one of the most important things i learned as well about making stuff is just that like i don't understand and i don't think anyone understands like what people like mm-hmm. like there's no way to actually like know you do just have to do it and just find out and there are things that sometimes you'll you'll do in like in, in different things and people will like if you're telling a joke people will laugh at it and you're like, I didn't think that was that funny, but people just really enjoy it. And it's just like if you just have a general idea of what works, that's all you can get. Because I, I used to find with music get so frustrated when I'd spend months making something really like good and spend so much time on it and it gets like ten views, sixty views, and you're like, Yeah. yeah. And then I'd spend a day making some absolute gutter trash and it gets 4,000 views and I'm like why why are people listening to this it's bad like, mm, yeah. you shouldn't you shouldn't listen to this it is not good but people <laughs> love it and you just need to sort of like find those things and just be like you don't need to understand why people like it you just need to sort of get like are people like that okay mm. and, yeah and it's, it's, it's appreciated trial and error yeah. yeah Um. so I have a question for people that are looking to get into 
audio video editing. It's a tech heavy area. What would be the easiest way to get into it without breaking the bank? Like, is there any, are there any go-to hints and tips that you would recommend for people? Yeah, with with everything, there's a lot of software that, you know, there's so much good out there for free that it's much easier to, you know, pay up the money for Logic or Ableton or Premiere Pro. And then there is, like, guides for everything and you can get all the information. But if you're willing to just sort of tinker a little bit more and test and sometimes have to work things out or troll through forums rather than having a nice well-presented music uh, YouTube video to watch. There's a lot of good things like for video editing, DaVinci Resolve is pretty big. It's mm. free. You can just get it and use it. And I still use Premiere Pro. I think it's 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 nicer that it's, you know, I can get through things quicker. But if you learn with DaVinci Resolve as a starting point, you'll get used to it and you'll get much quicker than I am with it sort of thing. And uh, there's uh, Reaper is a good one for music production. Reaper is totally free and it's I used Reaper for a long time because it was just it does everything you need. Mm. And then there are so many people like that Andrew Huang video I was talking about, tons of other things like that where people are like here's a load of free stuff that is good, and they've done the sorting and testing stuff sort of for you. And there will be everything you need, and then it's just about doing it. Like uh, one of the best things I'm hugely into the YouTube channel Corridor Digital. Uh, recently yeah. who do uh, visual effects and I love, I love my of, dear corridor crew those guys are so fun I would one of love the best things there. one of them ever said such a great piece of advice uh it was uh, i think nico he said your first video is going to be bad so, so do it get it done with make yeah. it and move on to your next thing like and your first few things will all be awful so just do it and each time you make it the next one will be better and I think that's a, a big thing as well, where, like, I struggled with this, where it's like, you know, with the video editing, I never did video editing after I left uni, because I didn't have a reason to. I didn't have anything to video edit for. But when I had the time to stop in um, with COVID and stuff and be like, I'm just going to make stuff for my portfolio, that's when you actually get good at stuff, like, when you're actually just making it. And so that would be my biggest advice is get some free software. You don't need to break the bank and then just do it. I was talking to a friend recently who wanted to get into recording. Um, and he was like, which, you know, DAW should I buy to record? And I'm like, what do you want to record? He's like, just, you know, guitar and singing. And I'm like, audacity. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> don't spend 300 quid on, you know, don't spend 600 quid on Ableton Suite. Mm-hmm. Just get audacity and it will, it will do everything you need. Yeah. I think we're, I think, some of the worry that people who are starting have is that they don't want it to, you don't want how bad your equipment is to detract from the skill that you have and that you want to show people. And so I, I understand that point of view, but I think these days, and dare I say, the internet is so friendly. Like people on there, there you have people that are willing to help you. Um, I was, uh, I'm now like big into reddit just sitting in podcast forums where i'll listen through other people's podcast for audio because i edit my audio on uh i edit the audio for this podcast and just basically say like try this or have you seen this software it's free for this long and it's really it's uh, people are willing to help you and also um uh, another uh 
on another episode, we were talking about um, getting other people to help you a little bit more professionally if you want to up the quality. Yeah, Fiverr yeah, is Fiverr is such a great place to do that um, because you have people there that are just starting themselves, but they know that little bit more than you. This is your your favorite thing to say, Alex, an expert. Uh, an expert is someone that knows that much more than you. Yeah. Uh. And so you can find those people and... Yeah, basically go from there. Um, One kind of complicated question that I have, because I haven't been able to answer this for myself, where we're talking about how in the beginning, whatever you make when you're first starting out is going to be bad. But obviously when you're making it, if you think you've achieved your goal for that creation, it's good. So when... When do you know that you have finished and when do you know that it's good? Uh, I think it, it sounds a bit dire, but I'd say you probably never have and it never is, like, from a creative point of view. Like, mm. that's always how I think of it is that, like, you can't ever finish anything. So just pick an arbitrary point, like you say. Like, having – that's why I like starting from a, uh, a, like, what I want to do rather than what I want to have in the end because I'm like, I want to make a song – using this i want to make a song that's in five four polymeter and once it's in five four polymeter and i can call it a song i'm like there we go it's done i and really want I to can... stop the podcast right now just to prove your point <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just, <laughs> just just it, cut it, it off there Good interview. <laughs> and you can just do that where it's like you really um you just need to it's just like the best example of when to stop saying because when it stops being fun like honestly mm. like when you stop enjoying it and you're like this is just getting annoying now it's like alright I'm just going to put the finishing touches on it like sort of just you know a little bit of uh, for music it would be you know master chain and stuff like that and then bang it's loud enough It's it sounds okay it's good and with the listening back to stuff I find that like you can always like at, at the time be like yeah this is this is pretty good and you, when you listen back to it, it's a dice roll whether you still like it. Mm. I looked through a load of my old stuff recently, and there's so much stuff that I listen to, and I'm just like, this is absolute trash. Like, why did I ever upload this? This is awful. But <laughs> I'm, then I'm there's sorry, other stuff that's just as old where I'm like, oh, that's that's actually all right. There's some good bits in there. Mm. And it's so random that you're just like, yeah. And the most important thing is, like, if you listen to your really old stuff and then listen to some new stuff, you can just be like, oh, yeah, I can sort of see how it's improving, even though I think both of them are trash. Like, you can see how one's less bad, right? Yeah. Even just go to your favourite bands or favourite artists and take the things from the very start of their career and look at the most recent thing they've put out and then just compare the two, whether it's visual art, whether it's uh, music, um, sculptures, anything. You'll see the progress and the timeline. Yeah, I think uh, I was speaking with... um, the host of the Something in the Wilderness podcast about Andrew McMahon's career. He uh, was the lead singer for Something Corporate, Jack's Mannequin, and now he's doing his own thing um, called, uh, his project is called uh, Andrew, uh, Andrew in the Wilderness, I think it is. But in interviews, he often talks about how stuff from Something Corporate, as big as they kind of were in the early like 2000s, he's there's some songs that he can't perform anymore because they're cringy. And I think for me, I don't see that, like, artists and, like, uh, studio and touring musicians, I don't feel like if they're big enough that they ever have that. So in my head, I I don't think, like, for example, Beyonce or Billie Eilish are going to turn around and be like, yeah, I don't like that song anymore. Because everybody else did, and they loved it so much. So it's, it's like, baffling to me that uh, somebody of that caliber would turn around and not like their own work when so many other people do. 
I, I always love Dylan for this, where a lot of people say they don't like going to see Dylan nowadays mm. because Bob Dylan is known for just, like, he will not play his old stuff. <laughs> yeah. Because he's just like, I don't like that anymore. He's like, I don't, I don't care about you guys. Like, this is this is the, like my art, and I'm doing what I think is cool, and I don't think that stuff's that good anymore. You paid to see so me. Just this is me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you paid to see me now. If you want to see me then, there's plenty of videos of that. Like, yeah. He's just he's just totally not into it, and a lot of people will still play old stuff like sort of for the fans, and you know, it's it's good to do it like if you want to. But there is a lot of that. Like, I remember watching. Um, I'm weirdly addicted to reaction videos, right, of all sorts. Just watching people enjoy art, I just find it funny for some mm. reason. I just like it. And on the React channel, they had uh, kids reacting to Linkin Park. And then they got Mike Shinoda to watch that. And it was a it was a great thing. And one of my favourite moments on it was there's this kid who was like, yeah, this is what Linkin Park is, not that pop shit. And oh, then, yeah. And then, yeah. And, then Mike Shinoda, and then Mike Shinoda's like, in the end comes on, and Mike Shinoda's like, this is the poppiest piece of trash we've ever done. Like, this is yeah. so pop. Like, this yep. is just, like, there's nothing interesting about this. This is pop. But I, I, think they've now, just... I think they've now gone one further, and they've now got another reaction video of the kids reacting to Mike Shinoda. Yeah, to Mike Shinoda. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I haven't watched it, but it came up on my feed. It's but, good. It's fun. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, I mean Linkin Park is just a great example of people that completely changed their processes of how they were recording things, of how they were writing things. Um, taking out the arbitrary end goals, they sort of said, well, this is, you know, we're just going to try something new, we're going to mess around with some instruments and some synths and things. And like it or loathe it, the middle part and the latter part of their discographies really do show that transition and that uh, that growth in, you know, whatever form it was doing. If you want to listen to the new metal versions of their stuff, go back and listen to it, you know, then... But if they made the exact same thing that they made in 2000 uh, today, um, everyone would be saying, oh, well, you're just trying to cash in on your old sound. Yeah, there's, 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 no, there's no win. It's like, no, so yeah, do it for you. Do it for yourself. Grow and do what you're enjoying. So the most important thing for me is that, like, if Linkin Park only made Meteoria and Muse only made Origin of Symphony and, you know, Symmetry, like for the rest of their careers, it would be, it would be cack. It would be so bad. <laughs> no one would like it. Oh, yeah. So they've got to do something new. And maybe their new thing, because it's different, doesn't resonate with the old thing. That's fine. But, like, you do see that sort of, like, growth and you can see, like, the things that are similar. And if you like the things that stay, then you'll keep liking it. And it's, it's, it's really it's, great to keep seeing them. So I'm, I'm a really big fan of Blink-182 and uh, their latest album, Nine. I personally really love it. I'm digging that. I love that album, but it, there's a lot of hate from uh, the community and things because there's, there's changes mm. and it's uh, incorporating a load of uh, sort of, you know, quote-unquote modern styles and things. And then you've got the whole change in lineup as well for it and stuff. And you're like, well, they're not going to... It's not going to be the same thing forever and ever and ever. Like, that would just mm. be redundant yeah i think people expect a lot of the same thing but different somehow get a get a pitch changer transpose the whole thing that you drag it into a midi file and yeah yeah (laughs) sample it twist it and and i think another thing that like people in our position maybe overlook sometimes that might be good to uh bring to or just remember every now and then is that we don't have the pressure of a record label or anything like that, which is like we, we kind of talked about can be a bad thing and that we don't have deadlines and so there's nobody else to to please. But um, I can't, to to say to somebody, 
like a a record label or or somebody that's in charge of your career for your creative direction to be like I don't want to do this anymore I'm going to do this instead that's a pressure that I don't think uh well a lot of us who are still kind of in the process of making things and growing our skill we don't have that pressure we won't know it for a while if ever and that's something to take advantage of basically you don't know what it's like and keep not knowing what it's like and taking advantage of that i don't know if i'm articulating that properly yeah i i i really like Linkin Park and Muse are the perfect examples of sort of what we're on about because like a lot of that like I listened back to that and I'm like oh yeah I, I love their early stuff it was great and then I was like I liked a lot of Linkin Park's like later stuff as well like the third fourth fifth albums and I'm like I was a big fan of Linkin Park when I'm young though and you sort of have that thing where you think of uh like people's you you sort of the zeitgeist gets in your head in a way and yeah, you're sort of like definitely. oh yeah the the latest stuff isn't as good but then sometimes I go back to listen to it and I'm like I listen to the albums where Muse started going more electronic and symphonic and and not doing the old stuff and I'm like damn this is my favorite Muse album man like this is so good like it just fits me especially now so much more than a lot of their old stuff and it is that sort of thing where you do need to just like like every band will have bits that you don't like and bits that you do like. You just need to get used to that. And then so many bands as well have those periods where, like you said, they're, they've got contracts to fill out and so they're sort of stuck in doing what they do. I remember Dead Mouse said at the end of his contract, we don't, we don't really enjoy this right now. Like, we're not getting to do anything cool. We're just doing the mm. same stuff and they just want the same stuff. And mm. I don't want to do And, like, the first thing Dead Mouse did when he got out of his contract was he made an, a full album of solo piano based around the seven deadly sins and that was it and he's released that and i was like and it's brilliant i love it Mm. and it's like it's the sort of thing where it's like you he never got to do that because he's just like banging out dance banging out pop bits you know the point you made about you're not gonna like the the product of every single every single product that comes from an artist that you uh, are a fan of whatever and, and to be perfectly honest, anyone that says they love every single song from like a, a discography of 12 albums for an artist or something is um, clearly not understanding what it means to like or dislike something. And ah, it's, I think that's um, mean. Well, no, but you, you know what I'm saying? Like there what? are there are songs that you have to recognize don't click with you for whatever reason. You're not going to like the portraits uh, and the arts painted by an artist uh, from every single thing in their career uh, but well, I feel, you can still I feel like if you it. like everything an artist did either you're liking it on quite a surface level which is fine but yeah you know mm. or everything they make is pretty surface level like yeah. it's going to be one or the two like if everything someone makes is pop and you're like oh, i quite like pop it's just gonna be like yeah you can you can like it all but i do get the idea it's about it's like if people are making more interesting stuff and trying things i always love the the idea of um like when you take things on like pitchfork or stuff where you have user reviews or metacritic mm. and you you graph the reviews of stuff things that get sevens and eights it's a very simple bell curve where it goes up to yeah. like seven is the highest six is the next right things that get tens not it's like the ante of that things that get a lot of tens also get a lot of ones yeah yeah and it's just like a consistent thing like that where like good art almost by definition like isn't something that everyone likes yeah, my, my polarizing my favorite example of that is uh, the album pinkerton by weezer when it came out it was absolutely panned like zero and one star reviews continuously and uh you know nearly 
oh God, right, 20, 30, 25 years later now, it's regarded as one of the greatest sort of emo pop punk albums of all time. And they're going, well, I don't understand how something can do such a 180 from uh, you know the, the same publications that were giving it zero and one star reviews. Like, if you don't have this in your top ten albums of all time, then yeah. you clearly don't understand the genre. It's like well, you yourself panned it. Uh, <laughs> I think there's a difference between an establishment and the the people like the audience because may, what maybe what it was is that the audience has now become part of the establishment that is in charge of rating these things, which is why it's changed. But mm, yeah. uh, one thing I was going to say was that I think if somebody likes all of an artist's work, like their entire discography, for example, I think it's because they're maybe just a fan of that person and you want to support people. Like, for example, my my uh, weird new addiction is going on TikTok and uh, basically going through people's posts. And if I like a particular work that they did, even if it's just one drawing or one song and the rest of their stuff isn't exactly what I would like, I still want to support them. And so, you know, I'd still want to shout it out for anybody that wants to, um, Oh, that anybody I, who's into that sort of thing. I, I don't think. I don't think we're saying that you, it's not showing your support of them. It's, um, no, no, no. It, I, no, I understand what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just a case of if you're saying every single thing they've done is absolutely perfect and it resonates with me on this amazing sort of god tier level. It's like, it, well, it could. It, if you I, I think there's an important distinction there between like you know liking a band and liking like their an album and so buying the albums you don't like because you're like I like them. It doesn't matter thing. And then there is that sort of a thing that I think is pu- is pushed a lot by social media is this idea, like, it's sort of like celebrity worship, which I've always mm-hmm. hated, like, gets expanded a lot in social media where people are like, they sort of, it does get a bit cultish where people are like, everything they make is the best ever and everything they do is the greatest. And people do get obsessed where it's like a new thing comes out and it's like, it's great because it's by them. And yeah. you're like, that's not... I, I wonder like, how history will look back on like the uh, the One Directioners and the Bieber fans from uh, sort of the, yeah. the mid 2010s when well, when that was just the cultish. Same, <laughs> the same way that the Beatles fans are yeah. kind of. We like look at that. that. Oh, they call it was... mania, right? It's yeah. people being crazy, and it's yeah. like yeah. that's mad. Yep. and it's but, it's that. But now it's more open because it's not just when they come to a stadium near you. It's just on Twitter, constant yeah. sort of thing. <laughs> it's immediate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's immediate and it's constant now. I guess, like, applying this this sort of, uh, like, looking back on, on things that we make at, like, our, our fandom slash, like, injecting all the things that we absorb from other artists and musicians into our own work. I think that's quite, um, it's interesting what we end up liking and what our taste is, because it informs the kind of work that we end up making. Um, and well, I definitely, think, yeah. I think that's why I think it's so interesting when uh, it could be a big part of the reason that people get turned off by new stuff from a particular artist, especially if they are creative themselves. Because, for example, one of my favorite albums um, is uh, Paramore's Riot. And I would love to eventually make something like that. But Hayley Williams's new solo work is nothing like that. Mm. And so I found it difficult to listen to because that's where my expectations lie, even though that work is over 10, 20 years old now. No, oh my God. Uh, 2005, 16 years old. <laughs> yeah, 2005, I think. Yeah, But that's insane because obviously in 16 years, 
Hmm. Like, let's say somebody was born on the release date of the album, they're an entire person now, do you know what I mean? So it's impossible to keep something like that. But it's important to, if you know that that's the kind of stuff that you like, seek out other people who do something similar. And then yeah, also, think, yeah, take it, take it and run with it yourself and see where it goes. Yeah, I think it's important to like take the thing away from the person, like like that type of music, don't like that person. And mm. I think it's a really important thing to be able to do to like uh, be creative and stuff to understand that like sometimes your favorite artist can release something and you need to be entirely okay, entirely ready to just immediately go, I hate it. <laughs> and then you know you can buy it anyway because you love that person and that artist. But like just be ready to be like, yeah, I don't like it. That's cool. I, I have that with some of my favorite authors. It would be, uh, you know, I'm absolutely infatuated and love one particular thing they've done, and then they come out with something new, and it, it it's not for me. Mm. I'm sure it's for someone else. That particular one isn't for me. But then the next thing that comes out from them, I'm actually in, lo- in love with, it. and I know for a fact there will be someone else that doesn't like what I love. Yeah, it's that thing about the the polarizingness of good art as well. Like, where sometimes you you're like this person, everything he's made is a ten for me, and then he makes something you're like, ah, oh, this is the one that's a one. Yeah. <laughs> Brings then, the average down. Yeah, the next the next thing might end up being a ten, but this is the one where I just happen to be on that side of the spectrum where that's a one for me, and it's like okay, fine, whatever. God, I love these conversations. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, what uh, to to start to wrap up? What kind of let's let's boil it down to two bits of advice. Um, what would you say to somebody who's looking into just kind of getting into multi, multi we'll call it multimedia work because you do both video and audio i think uh like being being ready and willing and like happy and excited to just fail repeatedly is like super important like just just do stuff and it's going to go wrong a ton but if you start doing if you do stuff enough you'll get a consistent baseline and then just go from there and uh, sort of embrace the randomness of a lot of things. Like mm. sometimes things will just be good. Sometimes things will come out bad. Sometimes it's uncontrollable things and you've just got to go with it. And then uh, don't try and work too hard on something if it doesn't need that work. There's so much of my experience with music, especially where it's like, I'll point things out and people will be like, don't get it. Like I remember coming out from gigs when I was younger and having people be like, oh man, you know, I really like it was really good today and I'm like this is one of the worst gigs we've ever done (laughs) but people just don't see it the same way as you sometimes and you Mm. just need to like be able to notice where that's a thing and just be like if you're really working on something really hard you're like I need this to be perfect I remember talking about getting a snare perfect to one of my friends and he was like what do you mean get a snare perfect you just hit it and it makes a sound no how dare he (laughs) yeah and it's that sort of thing where I'm just like Sometimes you just need to accept that most people don't care if your snare is perfect. Mm-hmm. Unless just, you're making Saint Anger by Metallica yeah. when the snare can ruin <laughs> an entire album. <laughs> yeah, as long as it's not ruining... That's that's where the levels come in, isn't it? As yeah. long as it's not ruining the entire album, if it's just okay. Sometimes it's fine for stuff to be just okay. A lot They talk about that a lot in Corridor Crew as well, where they're like, sometimes you just need to... It's like this in the back of the shot. Does doesn't matter. Just, mm-hmm. just keep it in the back of shot. It doesn't need to be focused on. It doesn't need to look good. And actually, if you have anybody that's willing to absorb your work to the extent that they see the imperfections anywhere close to you, you've got a true fan who appreciates what you do. And that so that's good. That moment of connection where someone says, that thing that in there that most people don't notice really sucks, and you go, 
oh, you clearly really looked hard at the thing I'm doing. Because uh, otherwise I always try, you wouldn't notice that. I always try and pass it off as like an Easter egg or, a, or sort of, <laughs> yeah, just like, ah, you, you, you've won. Yeah, you, you found that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. I did misspell that character's name. The boom mic is in the shot. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a symbolism for uh, <laughs> the loudness of the world. Ah. <laughs> uh, Thank you so much for joining us and, and talking about all this stuff. It's been greatly appreciated. Uh, tell uh, t- where where can we find your work and what you do? So, um, Medic Casts on YouTube is where most of his videos are mine. If there is a lot of editing in it, it's mine. If it's uh, one of his speedrun things, that's that's probably not me. Um, I do a load of uh, broadcast and streaming stuff with. Um, on myself at uh, Rontha, R-H-O-N-D-D-A, on most things, like on Twitch and YouTube and all that, and uh, on ACC Sim Series. We, I do a lot of broadcasting on there where it's like production stuff, which is really fun. Um, and then music stuff, like I just normally post it on YouTube, but it's sort of like, it's a bit it's a bit stretched. I have, again, if you just type Rontha Records, run for Gaming, run for Music, like I have way too many YouTube channels which just have stuff <laughs> on them. So if you want to see any of it, it's it's out there. But the the main stuff I do is the streaming stuff and uh, the medic casts. Sweet. I'll put all that in the links in the description or the show notes wherever you guys are listening to it. Sweet. Well, yeah. Excellent. To anyone listening, don't forget to uh, like, subscribe, leave a review, five stars, note, share it, recommend it with whomever you know, um, whichever platform you're listening on, and however that one seems to work. I can't list them all because I can't think of them all right now. Mm. Um, There's a long list. We're officially on seven platforms. Thank you! Yeah, thank you so much for your time it's joining us fun. today. So. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's It's fun. <laughs> I have been Nancy Art Music. You can follow me on TikTok and Instagram at Nancy Art Music. Alex, where can we find you? I'm Alex Roberts, and you can find me on Instagram at Alex Roberts Writer. Yeah. And you can find my first collection of poetry, Empire, on Amazon. Yeah.